a story, fill up the pages, sing a little song, keep me around, keep me with you, right by your nightstand, keep me around, as long as you can. Yeah, because that was that was gold right there. I wasn't recording when we were talking before. I know, you should have been there, because then the listener could have heard all about the Washington baptism. Anyway, welcome to ADD Storytelling, the podcast in which we explore the myths and legends of our time, the past, the present, the future, in no particular order, and sometimes with less than perfect focus. My name is Tucker, and as always, I am joined by our beautiful, silken, sweat-drenched hostess, Maddie. How are you today, Maddie? <laughs> Why am I sweat drenched? <laughs> you were baptized in the sweat of strangers sleeping in that nasty little dorm bed last week. Just now because you have I'm some like probably ill and we're recording this podcast like the two nights before it releases. That's no big deal. I'll do it tomorrow. I'm on break. Recording it on the magical palindrome day. The 2202022. Yeah. Yeah. And it's coming out on the 24th. Wow, Pressure. that's also a number. It is also a number. It means something. So, yeah, are you feeling the magic running through you today? Or is that just the illness coursing through your veins? So, I did sleep for 14 hours last night, so I'm hoping that I'm going to be better tomorrow. And also that my second COVID test is also negative. That's what I'm hoping. Sleeping 14 hours after... Getting ill via a dorm bed. It's like you were bit by some kind of dorm vampire. Because sleeping for 14 hours is kind of like how I acted when I lived in a dorm. So perhaps you're also about to start. I mean, it could have just been like the place with the children. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you have set up a hookah here in our living room, which once again is a very dorm-like activity. I don't, I can't smoke, you know, I have asthma. (laughs) (laughs) So, Maddie, what are we talking about today in your sick slurry of lucidity? So today we're talking about, well, it's like a sort of like semi-feminist version of Persephone and Demeter, mostly Persephone. Um, So the wife to Hades, spring flowers and underworld, that kind of thing. And the the person that most Greeks prayed to when asking for a safe passage to the realm of the dead. So, um... Like in day-to-day, what was like the day-to-day equivalent of that? Like, how did she function in people's lives? Well, that's what I'm saying. She was like the spring person. So the turn of the seasons Mm. was attributed to Persephone's coming and going from the underworld. And then also... She was like the harbinger of new life in the beginning of spring. Yeah. And also praying to her is what helped you get through... Hades, not really, no one ever really built a shrine or prayed to Hades, which is interesting. That is interesting, because I didn't think Hades was necessarily evil in Greek mythology. It didn't say anything about him being evil, it just said that people didn't worship him that way. Strange, why not? They were were ape shit about (laughs) worshipping. My question about common people, how often were they going to the underworld? Is that a metaphor for like... Dying? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's where the dead people go. Dead. Okay, it's not like a tr- business trip to said underworld. Well, Orpheus went to the underworld, but he didn't end up getting his girl back, so bummer. He, do- he totally blew it at the end there. He bought, he, 
really biffed that one. Yeah, fucked yeah. it up. Yeah. Demeter and Persephone are kind of like a joint pair, mother and daughter, that sort of thing. Earth and spring, etc. And they've been connected to multiple other stories within like a similar timeline in history. So like Isis, Gaia, and Inanna's descent from Mesopotamia. What about um, Jesus? He also died and came back. Jesus is way the fuck later. His whole thing was way later. That's yeah. like Roman. This is like it's not that Greek. L- not that much later. But yeah, sure. I mean, it's a few hundred years at least. Yeah. In ancient history terms, that's like a day. Okay. So it's the, kind of the archetype of the dying god, the resurrected, which we see again and again, and the power of resurrection uh, pertaining to earth cycles. Yeah, totally. That there's a theory that early religious practice was more or less solely created as kind of a calendrical kind of like means of telling time as it pertains to like the harvest. Well, so in case you didn't know, these are Greek goddesses and pre-Greek goddesses. So like Crete, early Mesopotamia, that kind of stuff. So Demeter has been around for quite some time before the whole Olympian pantheon. Um, Which pantheon? The Olympian. Uh, Olympus. I heard MBMB on the man pantheon and I was like, my brother, my brother, me, Pantheon. So Demeter is earth goddess, right? So she gives fruit, you know, agriculture, etc. So things that are sacred in like the Eleusinian temple, which is like uh, Eleusis? Eleusi? Eleusia. Eleusia. That's the place where the main right. temple to Demeter was huh. like a long time ago. Well, thanks for that rundown because before this, when you say, Demeter, I barely knew her, but now I know a lot more about that person. I've been, I, I have been sitting on that. And Persephone is her daughter. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a couple different versions of how she was born. But. You're not gonna get into that. Nah. All right. It's whatever. So Persephone's story is now referred to as the rape of Persephone, especially in the lauded Edith Hamilton's mythology book. Mm-hmm. Um. Which I read in high school. Did you read that in high school? No, we actually really didn't hit Greek myths hard in my in my high school. I, nonetheless, I am aware that that is the common title for this tale. And so when you mentioned to me about a week ago that the topic was Persephone, my ears perked up. I was like, oh, okay, sweet. Yeah, it kind of goes without saying I was looking for a version of this where uh, it wasn't so horrible against women, like all of Edith Uh Hamilton's book is, where there's like the, you know, the punishment of women and the curse of women and you women, gross. Yeah, it hits those themes Um, pretty hard. (laughs) So um, I'm sure no one's really surprised. And I, I think if my father was listening, he'd be like, of course, Madison is finding a feminist version of Greek myths, you know, whatever. I did, I found one. Before it was the rape of Persephone, there's like pre-Olympian versions of the myth, and in that there's no real mention of rape in the ancient cult of Demeter and her daughter, nor was there um, like rape and sacrifice in the two traditions antecedent to that mythology. So it's like... Some classical source thought that would be a really cool detail to just like addend onto it. Later I go into why we think that it kind of 
morphed came up into to that. business. Yeah, but I'd like to actually read the pre before we do the one that's in like that you know of the rape of Persephone before like, it transmutes into a sexually aggressive act. Yeah, let's read something a little. I'd like to read the like. Um, this is kind of like the the radish before the wasabi. Is the order we're doing this in? Yeah, I'd like to do Great. the sort of original approximation of the story, which, you know, it no longer exists because it's been wiped out. But, like, this one author looked through a lot of different sources and used a bunch of clues and wrote a version of it. Okay. So that was by Spretnik. Oh, and our two sources today, I should really say. What we're going to read from right now, Demeter and Persephone by Charlene Spretnik, um, who's an MA. That was from... 1978. And that stands for Master Assassin, correct? Probably. Yeah. And the other thing was the Eleusinian Mysteries of Demeter and Persephone, Fertility, Sexuality, and Rebirth by Marilyn Keller in the Journal of Feminist Studies and Religion. So, there you go. Pretty cool. <laughs> it is. I thought it was cool. <laughs> I know. I witnessed you reading this article and just giggling to yourself with glee. Yeah, it's really good. I would maybe even just read the whole article all like 20 pages of it but that's not really i thought i would summarize it instead you know keep it keep it fresh yeah i tried that once on a tuckered out where i just read for an hour <laughs> and i'm not sure that was my best outing okay so here's the the myth as it should have been before the whole other thing happened so yeah before that cool snyder cut where they changed it around and yeah, before the Snyder Cut. And it is a little bit long, so feel free to have reactions, Tucker. Okay, I thought you were saying that to the audience. I was like, I, well, I don't think they need your permission for that one, but sure. Yeah, well, I'll react. You're the react. You're okay. the audience in their shoes. Oh, yeah, I'm the one that really pads out the wrong time on these conversations. Yeah, you really do. Yeah. Right. I ramble. I interject. I tangent. No, I'm expecting, I'm expecting I'll do quite a few bit of that. Yeah, okay, so here we go. The myth of Demeter and Persephone. There was once no winter. Leaves and vines, flowers and grass grew into fullness and faded into decay, then began again in unceasing rhythms. Men joined with other men of their mother's clan and foraged in the evergreen woods for game. Women with their children or grandchildren toddling behind explored the thick growths of plants encircling their homes. They learned eventually which bore fruits that saved it hunter, hunger, and which bore leaves and roots that chased illness and pain, and which worked magic in the eye, mouth, and head. The goddess Demeter watched fondly as the mortals learned more and more about her plants. I know that last one, though. It would just be head-on. Fly directly to the forehead. <laughs> yes, exactly. It grows in abundance in, around the Mediterranean. <sighs> I don't need no godly knowledge to know this. Seeing that their lives were difficult and their food, uh, food supply sporadic, she was moved to give them the gift of wheat. She showed them how to plant the seed, cultivate, and finally harvest the wheat and grind it. Always the mortals entrusted the essential process of planting food to the women in the hope that their fecun fecundity, fecundity? fecundity. fecundity? Mm -hmm. of womb might be transferred to the fields they touched. Demeter had a fair-born daughter, Persephone, who watched over the crops with her mother. Persephone was drawn especially to new sprouts of wheat that pushed their way through the soil in her favorite shade of tender green. Wow, that's a fun pastime, watching sprouts come out of the soil. I guess it is if you're a goddess and time is immutable. Yeah, actually, no, <laughs> as soon as the words escaped my mouth, I realized, actually, there's something poetic about that. If I'm immortal, yeah. What's my TV? A tree. 
T- trees or TV. Yeah. Treevy. <laughs> she loved to walk among young plants, beckoning them upward and stroking the weaker shoots. Shoots. Blah. I'm just going to let that one whiz by me. Later, when the plants approached maturity, Persephone would leave their care to her mother and wander over the hills, gathering narcissus, hyacinth, and garlands of myrtle for Demeter's hair. Persephone herself favored the bold red poppies that sprang up among the wheat. It was not unusual to see Demeter and Persephone decked with flowers, dancing together through open fields and gently sloping valleys. When Demeter felt especially fine, tiny shoots of barley or oats would spring up in the footprints she left. One day, they were sitting on the slope of a high hill, looking out in many directions over Demeter's fields of grain. Persephone lay on her back while her mother stroked her hair idly. Mother, sometimes in my wanderings I have met the spirits of the dead hovering around their earthly homes, and sometimes the mortals, too, can see them in the dark of the moon by the light of their fires and torches. Those are those spirits who drift about restlessly, but mean no harm. I spoke to them, Mother. They seem confused, and many do not even understand their own state. Is there no one in the netherworld who receives the newly dead? Demeter sighed and answered softly, It is I who has domain over the underworld. From beneath the surface of earth I draw forth crops and the wild plants, and in pits beneath the surface of the earth I have instructed mortals to store my seed from harvest until sowing, and... Why don't you start from, like, after she asks, like, Is there not anyone down there that can take all these dead boys? I'll leave that in. Demeter sighed and answered softly, It is I who has domain over the underworld. From beneath the surface of the earth, I draw forth the crops and the wild plants. And in the pits beneath the surface of the earth, I have instructed the mortals to store my seed from the harvest until sowing, in order that contact with the spirits of my underworld will fertilize the seed. Yes, I know very well the realm of the dead, but my most important work is here. I must feed the living. Okay. It's interesting. Yeah. It's like an Instacart for the whole planet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there is this whole thing about the, like, women that they know the beginnings and ends of life because they, like, have life and give birth and then watch, raise children and then die. So then they know all three. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Persephone rolled over and thought about the ghostly spirits she had seen, about their faces drawn with pain and bewilderment. The dead need us, Mother. I will go to them. I don't know what voices I'm doing here. No, no I like it. It's it Just harness that sickness and run with it. <laughs> Dive in and out of whatever voices you so choose. It's like the Dune audiobook, in which, like, Baron Harkonnen will be voiced by one person for one sentence, and then an entirely different person for the next. Yeah. Just run it. Oh, there we go. Demeter abruptly sat upright as a chill passed through her and rustled the grass around them. She was speechless for a moment, but then hurriedly... What? She was speechless for a moment, but then hurriedly began recounting all the pleasures they had enjoyed in their world of sunshine, warmth, and fragrant flowers. Boxing. DoorDash. Corgis. (laughs) Orgasms. uh, Pirate movies. She told her daughter (laughs) of the dark gloom of the underworld and begged her to reconsider. Persephone sat up and hugged her mother and rocked her with silent tears. For a long while, they held each other, radiating rainbow auras of love and protection. Yet Persephone's response was unchanged. They stood and walked in silence down the slope toward the fields. I feel like every all the imagery from this story so far 
can be readily found in the black light posters of any like head shop that you might go into. Yeah. It's just like earth goddess shooting rainbows out of her nipples while like three trippy mushroom trees come out of her womb or something. Totally. Yeah. I feel like once again, we're back to this is your dorm sickness that you've been infested with this weekend. And it's it's manifesting in the tales you're reading. They stood and walked in silence down the slope toward the fields. Finally, they stopped, surrounded by Demeter's grain, and shared weary smiles. Very well. You are loving and giving, and we cannot only give to ourselves. I understand why you must go. Still, you are my daughter, and for every day that you remain in the underworld, I will mourn your absence. Persephone gathered three poppies and three sheaves of wheat. Then Demeter led her to a long, deep chasm and produced a torch for her to carry. Is that, like, just opium and beer? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Because, I mean, yeah, if I was going to die, it's like, what do you... She said poppies were her favorite, though. Yeah, she's getting rip shit on poppies. She stood and watched her daughter go down farther and farther into the cleft of the earth. Isolate that. In the crook of her arm, Persephone held her mother's grain close to her breast, while her other arm held the torch aloft. She was startled by the chill as she descended, but she was not afraid. Deeper and deeper into darkness, she continued, picking her way slowly along the rocky path. For many hours she was surrounded only by silence. Gradually she came, became aware of a low moaning sound. It grew in intensity until she rounded a corner and entered an enormous cavern where thousands of spirits of the dead milled about aimlessly, hugging themselves, shaking their heads, and moaning in despair. This is just a description of walking down the Ave. <laughs> Persephone. That was a Seattle niche joke. That was a U Seattle U district joke. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Persephone moved through the forums to a large flat rock and ascended. She produced a stand for her torch, a vase for Demeter's grain, and a shallow bowl piled with pomegranate seeds, the food of the dead. Really? Yeah. Wow. Huh. It's really uh, not on brand? Pomegranates are sacred to both of these as well. I mean, sure, be that as it may, but it's just, it's really funny when you think like the food of the dead, the at least me, I'm thinking bone marrow, uh, Snickers, like veal. Well, pomegranates are notoriously difficult to open. I guess that is hellish, yeah. Yeah, you're right. They are but what about though. more like protected food, like crab or coconut? Coconut would be the food of the dead if we're talking hard to open. You ever tried to open a coconut that you found on the beach? No. I've spent hours. <laughs> Does she need a rock? <laughs> Oh, I'd have to see this one day. I, I want to see you take a rock to a coconut. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to buy a coconut. <laughs> it's just a little yeah, Once you get to the nut, you can take a rock to it. But that thing's covered in, like, giant... The husk? Uh, Shit's thick. As she stood before them, back to the dead, her aura increased in brightness and in warmth. I am Persephone, and I have come to be your queen. Each of you has left your earthly body and now resides in the realm of the dead. If you come to me, I will initiate you into your new world. I'm 100% that bitch. Yep. She beckoned those nearest to step up onto the rock and enter her aura. As each spirit crossed before her, Persephone embraced the form and stepped back and gazed into their eyes. She reached for a few of the pomegranate seeds, squeezing them between her fingers. She painted the forehead with a broad swatch of the red juice and slowly pronounced, you have waxed into the fullness of life and waned into darkness. May you be renewed in tranquility and wisdom. She's going to have to say that so many fucking times. She says that all the time. 
For months, Persephone received and renewed the dead without ever resting or even growing weary. All the while, her mother remained unconsolable. Bummed out. Bummed out. Demeter roamed the earth, hoping to find her daughter Shit's emerging <laughs> from one of the secret clefts. <laughs> Are you laughing at shit sad or secret cleft? Secret cleft. Secret cleft is very good. Uh, <laughs> well, that's been our episode. Secret cleft has thoroughly torpedoed this whole endeavor. Oh, you are sick. You wouldn't normally laugh at like a 12-year-old joke like that. This is good. This is very good for me. I was like, I was sitting over here being like, it's my brand to say something about Secret Cleft, but I feel like I just don't need to interrupt the podcast for that and hear like, (laughs) you're just tickled by it, just existing. In her sorrow, she withdrew her power from the crops, the trees, the plants. She forbade any new growth to blanket the earth. This is this Persephone? No, no Demeter. Demeter. The mortals planted their seed, but the fields remained barren. Demeter was consumed with loneliness and finally settled on a bare hillside to gaze out at nothing from sunken eyes. For days and nights, weeks and months, she sat waiting. It's like Trump in Mar-a-Lago. One morning, a ring of purple crocus quickly pushed its way through the soil. Sorry, what? One morning, a ring of purple crocus, quietly, uh. not quickly, pushed its way through the soil and surrounded Demeter. She looked with surprise at the new arrivals from below and thought it was a shame that she was too weakened to feel rage at her injunction being broken. Then she leaned forward and heard them whisper in the warm breeze, Persephone returns. She returns. Is the flower saying that? That's right. It's just like She's also- a goddess. Oh. oh. Demeter leapt to her feet and ran down the hill, through the fields, into the forest. She waved her arms and cried, Persephone returns. Everywhere her energy was stirring, pushing, bursting forth into tender greenery and pale young petals. Animals shed old fur and rolled in the fresh, clean grass, while birds sang out, Persephone returns. When Persephone ascended from a dark chasm, there was Demeter with a cape of white crocus for her daughter. They ran to each other and hugged and cried and laughed and hugged and danced and danced and danced. Wow, okay. How much dancing? A three danced. The mortals saw everywhere. The rice dance? (laughs) The mortals saw everywhere the miracle of Demeter's bliss and rejoiced in the new life of spring. Each winter they joined Demeter in waiting through the bleak season of her daughter's absence. Each spring they are renewed by the sign of Persephone's return. And this, my children, is why every spring you and all your friends will go to Cabo in Fort Lauderdale. In celebration of Persephone. This is where we get the tradition of spring break, right? Yeah. Why we send our young ones away every spring to Fort Lauderdale in Daytona to celebrate the new life. And then Coachella. They dance and dance and dance and dance and dance. You swipe left, you swipe left, you swipe left. (laughs) (laughs) Okay.
so that was the approximation of the story before Zeus and Hades did their whole like conquer thingy, conquer rapey times. Jesus, that's basically how that went. So, according to Keller, who wrote the, should there be a, a trigger warning? No, because it doesn't really get into it. It's just like a, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're not gonna spend. It a lot all of happens time. off screen. It happens off screen. Okay. Yeah, not. It's the implication. Yeah, or the statement. Yeah. Or the title of the fucking tale. (laughs) Other than that, it's fine. Yeah, okay. So, um, according to Keller, there's a lot of evidence that says there was a matriarchal cultural evolution that existed from at least 6500 to 3500 BCE. Oh, yeah. Most of the earliest, like, godheads of Mesopotamia were female, uh, bull-headed fertility gods. Yeah. And then it was later taken over by patriarchal war clans. So Crete mm. during... Well, which is also Alistair Crowley's whole thing, as of the three ages, the first being the age of Isis, matriarchal figureheads and cultivation and harvest. And the second age was the age of Osiris and warfare. And at the beginning of the 20th century, we entered the age of Horus, which is like the child, the impetuous, violent one. And this is supposed to be the most violent eon. Hmm. That was my fun Alistair Crowley thing. Well, he's not related to what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Isis is. Crete, during both the Neolithic, which is 6,000 to 3,000 BCE, and the Bronze Age, which is 3,000 to 1,200, was a peaceful matrilineal farming society. So violence and act of war, acts of war were reserved for the end of the Bronze Age, beginning of the... Uh, sorry, with the beginning of the Mycenaean domination. That's nice. So, like, they, they planned it, but they're like, we'll get to that later. That's for the Bronze Age. Right now we're in the Neolithic. We ain't gonna fight. Yes. So, remains of early domestication of grains in the central Greece region were found in about 7,000 BCE in the Eleusinian region, which is where the big temple to Demeter and Persephone is. God, I'm so fucking thankful that we finally got those grains under control, though. Uh, with that 6, they finally BCE. domesticated them. Yeah. You remember when those were wild grains? Ancient grains. Jesus. So terrible. Um, Now they're just white and spongy. Like me. (laughs) So just like in the story, the theory is that Demeter, or women in general, gave the gift of grain and agriculture to people and instructed them in the rites to Demeter's name. During this um, early times, both genders shared economic and spiritual life, so women were in primary social positions as clan mothers and priestesses. Burials in Crete were in communal tombs and did not involve any animal or human sacrifice, including no, like, secret rape cults either. It was all chill. Then Dionysus came along and everything changed. (laughs) The animal... (laughs) That's when the rape culture invaded. (laughs) The animal sacrifice of the bull and the well-known sarcophagus from Hygge Trieta is dated to also the Mycenaean period, which is 1400 BCE. Mm -hmm. So past all this fun times. Of chillin'. So the institution of patriarchal marriage, which we're all so fond of. Woohoo! This is where... This is... <laughs> In that's, ancient Greece. That's, that's a sentence. <laughs> it's only rivaled by, and then the Europeans arrived. Was it's it? just like, this is when the party fucking stops. <laughs> uh, was attributed, and then the Catholics arrived. Is a tribute to Secrops. Secrops? Secrops. What's the word? A C-E-C-R-O-P-S. It looks like sea crops to me. 
Yeah, I don't know it, but if it's Greek, it's probably like Cecropis. Whatever. I'm going to call him Cecropis because I don't like him anyway. I bet Cecropis? I think of ocean corn when you say that. Yeah, Cecropis. <laughs> it was the first king of Athens who is said to have founded the city around 1580 BCE. I was late to the party. He was first to call Zeus the highest. At Athens, Cecropis was the first to join one woman. Oh, man, that god is the highest. To one man. Before, connections had taken place at random, and marriages were common. Before this day, people did not know who their fathers were. This is a quote from Keller's thing. Sorry, but I am having a rough time wrapping my head around that quote. People didn't know who their dads were before that specific day in Greece? So it was basically like everybody was at an equal footing, so they just had sex whenever they wanted, and it was more like there were flexible unions. Uh, I see. There wasn't like an actual... Or, or are they arguing that there was like an actual genealogical ambiguity about who people's fathers were? But I was just saying that it's the institution of everything being one woman to one man yeah. forever and ever. That wasn't really a thing before. Okay, so the way I'm reading that quote then in this context was that that person is saying like, yeah, with this new advent of one woman, one man, that's a family and that's a pairing. That changed it all. Now we know who someone's dad is. Before this, we were all just fucking each other like crazy. and No one knew who was related to who. It was great. I missed that time. Well, I think it's more saying that because it was a matrilineal society, it only really mattered who your mother was anyway. Because it's coming from mother, mother to daughter. So, like, you didn't have this focus on trying to figure out who the father was so that they could inherit the lands or whatever for yeah, the Yeah, they son. were just sowing seeds everywhere. Yeah. So... Yeah. It only kind of mattered who mom was because she was the one birthing you. So, whatever. Yeah. Got married whenever they wanted, but it was like a thing to do because they liked it, not because it was like a whole thing. The shifting of the story, right, is in the Homeric hymn. Uh, Zeus, this is when the Zeus and Hades story comes about because before it was the nice happy story and Demeter and Persephone were worshipped beforehand mm -hmm. before that they were frolicking it was frolicking. kind of like that that great moment in uh, attack of the clones <laughs> when uh hayden christensen and natalie portman are just rolling through that field yeah exactly like that that's kind of what i imagined but um, in this version they were just two beautiful bucks and naked women they were just causing like weed to grow all around them as they rolled that's what i saw in my head Is yeah similar to your totally i absolutely okay the face of that guy in that movie is not haunting in any way. No, 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 no. I've, I've gotten, I've gone past, I've eclipsed Hayden Christensen in my mind. He's gone. He's banished. He's sent to Hades. Okay. The title, The Rape of Persephone, uh -huh. comes from this part in the Homeric Hymn, where Zeus makes Earth create beautiful Narcissus flowers to be a snare for the bloom-like girl. Yeah. I've... And the girl was amazed and reached out with both hands to take the lovely toy. But the Lord, host of many, with his immortal horses, sprang out upon her. Sorry, pump the brakes real quick. Who's got immortal horses? Hades, Lord of many. Damn. He caught her up, reluctant, on his golden chariot, and bare her away, lamenting. That's the quote for the title of the myth. Yeah, I'm really stuck on the horses. The verb used here to describe Hades' action is harpazian meaning to snatch, seize, or carry off, a term usually reserved for acts of war or thievery, but always acts of violence. And then in later Latin texts, another word connoting violence is found, 
Ratsu, meaning abduction, seizure, or rape. So that's where the title, The Rape of Persephone, comes from. Damn. So that's really what sets the whole thing in motion. Demeter and Persephone are happy at the beginning, etc. This then... motherfucker shows up with his horses. Do you think he named one of them Nades? <laughs> Basically, they're having such a grand old time, and there's one version of the story where Aphrodite is, like, jealous that Demeter and Persephone are getting all this worship. So she's hanging out with her son, who's Cupid, right? And she's like, hey, why don't you shoot the lord of the underworld to fall in love with Persephone? Tag that bitch over there, son. And he's like, all right. So he does that. Persephone is doing her own thing with the flowers. And then Hades saw her and then got struck by Cupid's arrow and then did the bearing away situation. Mm -hmm. So in this version, right? Persephone is borne away by Hades on the chariot. She mourns her separation from her mother. Persephone. That's good as Nades. Persephone. Persephone. Nades. Cool. So, borne away by Hades to the underworld where she becomes queen of the underworld because he wants to marry her. Did she become a horse lord? Does he make her into Persephone? <laughs> and he's in love with her, so he wants her to be happy. But so she mourns her separation from her mother, Demeter, who also freaks the F out and searches high and low for her daughter for like quite some time. Thank you for censoring yourself there. The earth begins to die. As it does every year. That is what winter is. Demeter finds out from Helios, which is the sun, that Hades stole her daughter and appeals to Zeus to return her. However, Zeus had already blessed Hades' marriage, considering that they're brothers. So he didn't really give in to Demeter's demands until the blight upon the earth started to affect his followers' worship of him. Blight. This is all promotional for Horizon, right? Totally. Because I'm, yeah, I'm currently trying to find the Demeter subfunction to stop the blight. He says he'll return Persephone only if she hadn't eaten anything of the underworld. However, Persephone was... So just like none of those fucking, what were they, cranberries? Apricots. Pomegranates. Fuck! Persephone was tempted by the fruit of a pomegranate given to her by Hades, which was the same color as the Narcissus flower that had enchanted her into distraction before her original abduction. It's a good color. Have you seen that fuchsia? It's not fuchsia. I'm, this version is? That's no. why it's so tempting. No. No? That's where you draw the line. For it, pomegranate is nice color. It's dark red. Yeah, it's like a magenta fuchsia. No, it's not. It is. Let's no. fight about this. Let's, let's shut this whole thing down. Whatever. Anyway, she eats a few of the seeds. As you want to do. So she's trapped there. Then instead of Zeus being like, okay, well, I can't take her. She ate stuff. Demeter was like, let's compromise. (laughs) Persephone will either spend (laughs) either half her time or a third of her time, depending on the myth, in the underworld. And the rest of the time on Earth with her mother. In the underworld, Hectate, which is like the dark moon goddess, becomes Persephone's companion. And then in earlier versions, Hectate bears torches as guidance for Persephone out of the underworld as well whenever she goes to visit her mom. So that's Kind the, of like her chauffeur. That's the story we know. Yeah. That one there. Well, Old now thing. I know two stories. Yeah. Well, that's the more common one. Mm. Yeah. I don't know why... A lot why... more characters in that one. Yeah, there's more characters. I like the the unadulterated one is great because it has much more of a folktale vibe to it. It's not the lofty pantheon of gods with their intensely animalistic emotions and grievances and jealousies that cause them to do terrible things. It's just a tale of two gods, granted, like feeling, I don't know, 
feeling complex emotions and acting upon them in selfless and heartfelt ways. Are you talking about the first myth that, yeah. that we read? Yes. So, yeah. Like I'm comparing the- and contrasting, like, how... Like, that second one, it checks all the boxes of, like, it's a big-budget summer blockbuster where you have to have your Tom Hardys and your Tom Hollands <laughs> and your large explosive CGI battle at the end. Yeah, um, all your Toms. Whereas the original one is much more of, like, an A24 movie, and it's not going to be for everyone, but it really, it's nuanced, and it's really quite nice. I like it because is born like the conflict of the story is born out of Persephone's compassion instead of her rape and abduction. Yeah, <laughs> there's also that's another good big point. Uh-huh. Compassionate for the newly dead. Right. And you know, Persephone and Demeter also that one. show up in a bunch of different other myths like when Demeter is searching the earth for her daughter, she's like super depressed and at some point she like stops outside a cabin and she's just like hunched there all blah and then there's like a farmer guy who's around she, he's like hey like, excuse me why y'all hunched there like blah yeah why what's wrong with you this is my ancient, ancient Greek voice the, come eat with us at our house and she's like alright and then they you little, want some of my peasant gruel <laughs> it turns I got out, heaps of buckets of it it turns out their little baby is sick. It's like a baby boy. And so then Demeter yeah, goes... Yeah, yeah, dig into this gruel. You see my sick boy? <laughs> I hunched over here for three weeks. I can't tell what's wrong with him, but hey. Yeah. He slept in a strange dome bed last week. Do you think that <laughs> might be it? So then she kisses the kid, and then it becomes healthy again. And Come, is- come. Put your moist lips on my boy. Yeah. That'll fix... Oh, he's doing... Oh, you got some of that gruel on your chin. She's got all her goddess healing, and then she's about to take him away to make him immortal, and then her parents kind of freak out. They're like, no, don't take him. And then she's I like, need my boy. Bitch, I'm a goddess. I would have made him immortal, and then she leaves. Ooh. <laughs> so he's just, like, kind of vaguely demigodish after that. A lot um, of that. But that was, like, in her morning state, she also did that situation. So the change in Persephone's story could be a mirroring of societal change, of shifting from the matrilineal to the patriarchal, which is essentially Keller's argument in the Journal of Feminist Religion. So before this Seacrops guy, the people had flexible matrilineal unions that differ significantly from the possessive patriarchal nature of marriages between gods and goddesses of that time. Do we have a literary record of when the first story came up? Like, are there bas-reliefs that show depictions more true to that first reading that predate the more commonly known story. Yeah, so I think it's more about the cults of Demeter and Persephone, and there's like things from that era. Mm-hmm. Like, so, like, like all of these pottery, endnotes, probably, and like engravings. All of these endnotes from the person who wrote that thing, they're from uh, like cults of Greek states, religion of ancient Greece, you know, cult of mother goddess, and archaeological and documentary study. Okay earlier religion of Greece in light of the Cretian discoveries. So it's like Crete specific and also like this area in the near Elysian area where everybody's agricultural for a much longer time and able to like resist a lot of the warp clan stuff that's like going around outside of it. That's interesting. So more like isolationist culture. Yeah. They avoided all the shit storms. They avoided a lot of the shit storms. They and were this, able That's Crete? Specifically, yeah. or the area around and including Crete, kind of Cretan area. Okay. Persephone isn't the only one to receive this sort of swap in treatment from being like wife swap. 
<laughs> so, you know, Athena, daughter of Metis of Africa, was mm-hmm. revered before Zeus' warrior clans turned her into the daughter without a mother, birthed in full armor from Zeus's head, virgin patroness of war. That was half quote. Yeah, she was played by uh, Angelina Jolie in that God of Eternals movie. Yeah, so she had all the household arts of making, smithing, construction, healing, numbers, work. gifts of olive trees, childbearing, and agriculture. So she was female wisdom embodied, essentially. Fuck yeah. You so, know how to do my taxes? So you remember the famous legend of naming Athens? Boy, do I. It was every day, I, every day, I, every day I kind of relate it to myself. So Seacroft's that guy from before. Yeah. Called for men and women to vote on which deity for which they would name the city of Athens, right? Barney! The men voted for Poseidon, who mm. offered tools of war. That's pretty good, though. Poseidon rips. And the women offered Athena, who had the gift of the olive tree. The story goes, there's one more woman than men, so Athena won. The men were a little bitter about it, so they punished women in men? three ways. <laughs> Wait, one, you're saying men get bitter, and so you're saying they're going to take it out on women? That's right. Uh, they took the vote away from women in general, so that was basically the end of true democracy. Mm-hmm. They didn't allow children to be named after the mother, mm-hmm. and only men were allowed to be called true Athenians and citizens after the naming. See, this makes a lot more sense as to why America took most of their our government it from Greece. Sounds super Greek. familiar, doesn't <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, I see. Well, yeah, we really wanted to base a lot of our governmental bodies and institutions off the Greek model. And it seems like we really, we ripped from this source as well. Yeah. And then they're like, the women want free healthcare and schooling. <laughs> Fuck that. Fuck that shit. Poseidon says no. And all of, of your pharmaceutical costs will be extremely expensive. I'd like to do a little bit of a review on like where all this worship of mothers and stuff. What did they do when they were worshiping the goddess before the whole Zeus craze came about? With the war clans, you know. Mm-hmm. So, back in the day, every autumn, women of early Greece observed a three-day agricultural fertility ritual, the Thesmorphia, in honor of Demeter. The three days were known as the Cathodos and Anodos, downgoing and uprising, the Nestia, which is fasting, and the Calagenia, fairborn or fair birth, the Thesmophoria, the Erephoria, the Scyrophoria, the Stenia, and the Hola were rites practiced by women only and were of extremely early origin. They were preserved in pristine purity down to the late days and were often left almost uncontaminated by Olympian usage. It sounds shockingly similar to just pagan and Wiccan rituals yes. where the, the secretity of the feminine is worshipped in, often in accordance with the Holy Trinity in mm-hmm. Acts of Three. Mm-hmm. I wonder if there's any through line here. They emerge later in the most widely influential of all Greek rituals, the Eleusinian Mysteries. Eleusinian. There we go. Isocrates wrote that Demeter brought to Attica twofold gifts, crops, and the rite of initiation. Those who partake of the rite have fair hopes of concerning the end of life. Maddie is really going off on her hand gestures. I think uh, all the Kaufmanists in this set then. So, are you interested in the crazy 10-day ritual they do, the Rites of Mysteries? hmm Wait, now it's 10 days? Well, so that was the pre-one. And then later, with the Olympian situations, they made it that one, the three-day one. Mm-hmm. It was open to everyone. Everyone can do it. Celebrated in the fields. Everyone's chilling with it. And then it became a secret mysteries. Which is, is it just like, me, or does this 
these, these festivals feel like they were riddled with cunnilingus. <laughs> Maybe. Like you Maybe could drown in it. Yeah. Keller is saying that it seems possible that the celebration of Demeter's rites, which for se- several thousand years were probably celebrated in open fields, first moved into temples and developed an official ritual form priesthood, restricted access and secrecy, only when the patriarchal class rule became the dominant social norm in Greece. Wow. There's, this is just like when they made it so that you can only buy tickets for all three days of Coachella and you can't buy yes, just one. exactly. This is just like that. So Greek historian Diodorus, 1st century BCE. Oh, Diodorus, yeah. Wrote that the dedication rites were Big performed deal. by Athenians in Eleusis. These were all secret, but in Knossos, which is Crete, it was an old custom to perform these rites openly and were not hidden by them from anyone who desired to know about it. So that was the... Until then. So, the most detailed report of the mysteries of Demeter and Persephone comes from the classical Athenian era and specifies nine days, the length of time Demeter was said to search for her lost daughter, in the fall at the time of the equinox and the full moon. So heralds were sent from Athens and Eleusis throughout Greece proclaiming the festival. All warfare was to cease for two months. Safe travel was to be assured. No legal proceedings were to be conducted during the nine days. I'm sure that went off without a hitch. Yeah, totally. Every time. <laughs> people aren't people no matter what the time in history. <laughs> people aren't just going to look at that rule and be like... So the Eleusinian Hierophant opened the festival at Athens by inviting those who were prepared to join the initiation into the greater mysteries of Demeter. It's the secret schools. That is, all those who had been initiated the previous February at Agre into the lesser mysteries honoring Persephone, queen of underworld, who rose again each spring from the dead. So it goes through all the days. And so shall we. Let's do it. Let's do it. Second day, the initiates or mystai were sent to the sea to bathe and purify themselves in the refreshing salt waters of the Aegean. 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 Yeah, that word. Third day. Aegean. Agrarian. (laughs) Agrarian. The third day was given over to official state sacrifices honoring Athenian leaders. Oh, that escalates quickly. Okay. And other participating regions and goddesses. So yesterday we spent the whole day bathing in the sea. Yep. Today it's ritual sacrifice. Yep. This is the later version, right? There were sacrifices before. Damn, that kicked up. Okay. How was your bath? Great. All right. Now we're going to stab Jeff in the face. Come this way. Oh, on the same day, they did prayers for women and children. Oh, that's good. <laughs> so we've stabbed Jeff quite a few times. Yeah, here, hold his hold his beating heart. It's still quite fresh. Would you like to say a prayer for this little boy? Yeah, his father was a gruel maker. And the other <laughs> week, uh, a woman came by and kissed the ill little man right on his teeny sick head. And now he's, he's much worse. Will you say a quick prayer? Why oh, do you wait. keep looking away from the mic? <laughs> I'm acting. I have to physically, I have to interact. See, I'm looking at this cactus and imagining the misty eye. Oh my god. And that pill bottle over there is the sick, sick little boy. Anyway, thanks for killing Jeff. Hope you like your bath. Um, Let's move on to the fourth day. Devoted to Aesculapius, the god of healing, initiates were to remain at home. At Aesculapius' sanctuary at Epidaurus. Killing it. (laughs) Sick people to receive healing awaited a special dream, a visitation by a god or goddess conveying perhaps some heroic deed or artistic creation to be accomplished, some transformation of purpose. 
they got to sleep in at home the That's fourth right. day. Yeah, they were really tuckered out. <laughs> at <laughs> Athens, the fourth day was also devoted to the ritual identification with Demeter in her grief and her inexplicable. On the fifth day, the initiates and the community joined together in an exuberant procession of Eleusis, carrying at the front the boyhood Iacus, beside whom walked the great-grandmother Hecate. They stopped the and bathed at the Temple of Apollo. On the sixth day, the Mystai entered the sacred grounds one by one across the Bridge of Jests. Well, there, maybe there's a troll. While masked people <laughs> teased or ridiculed and told secrets about the initiate. This is a good day. This is a very fun day. They got riddles? The they jests. got ubers of riddles on their Bridge of Jests? Oh, what a fun day we have in store. Mm, many bells will ring as I tippy-tap my shoes over these mystical wooden planks. Oh, I hope a jester doesn't come out and spank me to death. Mm. The just combining scrutiny and satire were to strip away whatever overbearing pride or arrogance might prevent the initiate from opening fully to the insights of the mysteries. And it's the power of just and laughter in the old woman, I am making the sacred and profane, which first was healing to Demeter lost in her grief. When she was looking for her daughter. That whole I thing. do love the laughter of old women. <laughs> the next day was a final day of preparation of resting, purification, fasting, and sacrifice. <laughs> a little more sacrifice right at the end there. To sacrifice, literally to make holy, meant giving up, offering over to the goddess whatever was hindering the soul's journey along its path. The seventh and eighth nights were the nights of the mysteries. The mystai entered the temple of Demeter. Perhaps in more ancient days, they went down to the underground chamber of the Earth Goddess, where they kept all the. (laughs) That's where they kept. (laughs) Went down to the underground chamber of the Earth Goddess. That's where they kept like grain stores and like crypts and stuff. Yeah, I call it the grain store and the crypt as well. Um, (laughs) But was it secret clefts? Um, or perhaps into the cave at the edge of the site called the. Plutonian doorway to Hades. <laughs> would, you like, would you like to check out my granary or my doorway to Hades? That's right. Now the initiates receive the central experience of the mysteries <laughs> through what is said, what is enacted, and what is shown or revealed. Sounds very sexual now that I'm in this thing with you. And I'm saying it sexual. Oh, God. Oh, gosh. Okay. It's it's such a thinly veiled metaphor. Yep. Oh, Um, it's got crepe paper covering a Playboy. (laughs) So, in these secret nights, there could have been, um, you know, certain objects sacred to Demeter, exemplifying the regenerative forces of nature. A simple retelling of the Demeter Persephone story, a singing of the poet's hymn to Demeter, and the first priest, Eleusis, was said to have a beautiful voice, like the Thracian Orpheus. So, sometime during the final two days of initiation, before the beginning of the night ceremonies and the lighting of the great fire, the Mystai drank Kikion, barley water flavored with mint or pennyroyal. I've seen. Perhaps the barley was fermented and the drink intoxicating? May have contained an ergo, ergot, I don't ergot, know. Ergot, ergot, the a fungus with hallucinogenic properties. Yeah, we don't know. <laughs> so but they that's implying that they would intentionally drink ergot. So it's saying that it could have been like people were like hypothesizing what it could have been, but they don't actually know. 
Yeah, because ergot's a fungus that just tends to grow on wheat and barley and makes people trip out unknowingly. I have never heard of someone intentionally consuming ergot. It's not a good trip. It's really, really bad. It's a scholarly assumption, so perhaps they haven't done it. Anywho, the initiates experience a special seeing, the opening of the eyes. And we don't know what it is, so this is all... Conjecture. Conjecture. Lastly, the eighth day. The eighth day was spent in revelry and song, further dedications to the goddess, in pouring libations to the dead, a special honoring of those who had gone before to the underworld. Oh, that's where we get the pour one out for? Yes. And the ninth and final day was for reintegration into the community and to return to one's home. <laughs> That's Monday for me. That's after any good weekend I get. I have to be reintegrated into the community. Yeah, you're basically, how do I become part of the community? I don't have any serotonin. I think I went down on 18 women last night in that cave. Oh, no. Oh, God, no, I went into the realm of Hades. The end of this paper is like sort of the conclusion sentence of this entire article, which I loved. And I just want to read the paragraph because I was so enchanted by it. Are you good with that? Yeah. So this is from Keller again. Here we go. Finally, we may interpret the mysteries of Demeter and Persephone as a myth for our own time. The teaching of the journey of the soul transcends any particular time and place, age or sex. The mystery evokes memories of the early epoch of mother-centered life and the separating away, the abduction, the death of this primal way of life. That time has been followed by a period of patriarchal class rule, a long age reaching until this point where we now stand poised between the Star Wars and Star Peace, between the nuclear omnicide of the planet or the emergence of our planetary community into a new world. The renewal I long for is the return of our reverence for Mother Earth and her abundant forces of creation, an affirmation of the natural human sacredness of sexuality and enduring love and the belief in the inevitability, the inevitability of death and the immortality of the soul. It is the longing for the rebirth of the abundant love and nourishment of the ancient earth mother Gaia, Demeter, Persephone, Hecate, and all the great grandmothers so they might be with us now, as comforters and guides, into the next stage into our journey of this life with one another on this beautiful planet Earth. Amen. It's very pretty. No, um, I should say, all woman. All woman. <laughs> You like that? Uh, <laughs> I thought you were going to scoff harder than you'd ever scoffed before. Well, I th- well, that was great. I mean, I just, I'm like obsessed with Persephone a little bit because not only is she supposed to be like spring and fertility, but she's also like a death goddess. And she's just a queer artsy plant witch, which I, is what you identify as. Yeah, and she loves plants. And she really loves eating <laughs> if you don't want me to but uh, it's because of your laugh that it's good her journey to the underworld is also like a personal experience like the things that we take down to like the depths of darkness and then return back triumphant in spring and that kind of thing it's kind of a it's a metaphor for trauma and growth from it in a lot of ways personal experience and personal growth and dealing with hardship and growing stronger as a result something there's a lot to be gleaned from this story. It can be interpreted in a litany of ways. I really do it's think... It's empowering, also, at the end of the day. Yes. 
I also think that, like, you know, if you haven't, if you want to read, like, a cool feminist version, you definitely should read this Keller article, because it was, like, it was illuminating the Eleusinian mysteries of Demeter and Persephone. So good. I loved it. it it's like, yeah. Did I you read enjoy the script, article at all, so. though? Yeah. It was the thing. I loved it. It was very good. Well, I love you. And thank you for this very good and interesting and illuminating podcast that you have recorded with me. And for the listening ear pleasures of all of these 10 people that listen. We're up to 20. Oh, shit. 20 regular listeners. Fuck. All so, right. I'm going to start bringing it harder then. Oh, yeah. Go and listen to the Ghosts of Lake Larnier. Lake Lanier. Lake Lanier. Oh, yeah. Lake Lanier. Sure. I think. Spelled Larnier. I think it's Lake Lanier that. Ah, shit. I don't anyway, know. go listen that's to that. That's definitely how I said it in the thing. The ghost one is very good. Also, please tell people about our podcast so we get more, another 20 people to listen. That would be really cool. If we can get 24 people, that would be, be awesome. Um, Actually, no. Let's go for it. Today is. Email us anything that you like to storyteller at gmail.com. Yeah, anything you're into. Support our podcast if you like. Buy our shirts. We don't have any shirts, but when we buy when we get shirts, you can buy the shirts. Maddie, I think you and I both have several pairs of shirts. <laughs> I'm telling them to buy our shirts. <laughs> buy my pants. <laughs> buy any of our Thanks clothes. so much for listening. Hope yeah. you enjoyed our feminist journey. Anyway, night everybody. Thanks for joining us. Bye.